0: Hello, and welcome to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute.
1: In this season, Human 2.0, we'll be talking to scientists and non-scientists alike about technology, innovation, and the human experience. We're your hosts. I'm Angelica Pasquini.
0: And I'm the boy Bay, but you can just call me Bay.
1: On today's episode, we're going to be talking about biohacking with bioengineer Ricky Solorzano and physique athlete Scott Schunk. Hacking the human experience right. is so funny to me inherently. Yeah. Just the concept is, it's comical. I mean, I guess it's been happening forever. People are like, how do I, how do I, or I've been doing this this one way. It's its human nature to want to figure out a faster route.
0: Right, right. Right,
1: from A to B. That's what I always what I think about with hacking. It's like, how can I... More quickly, get what I want? Isn't right. that a classic question?
0: Yeah, you know, I think we all want to try to get to our destinations. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, some of the people we'll be talking to, and, you know, some people in the world, I think they revel in the process. And they are just trying to really make it as efficient. I think they have a, a bit of a long term perspective, a mm-hmm. long game at play. Uh, but yeah, we all want to cut those corners and be efficient. So, Angelica, what do you think biohacking
1: is? It's a huge umbrella term. Yeah. Let's just start with the most most far out one that scares everyone for fun. So, it's (laughs) if people turn themselves into cyborgs by embedding magnets, chips, computers under their skin. Okay. So, it's like people who want to put a little chip in their hand and then wave their hand across something and then get accessibility into a door. That's biohacking. Right. Now, I... That's a no for me, dog. But <laughs> I I, I also think biohacking can be as simple as making bread by using cells uh, to do so. I, I know that that's like a growing field yeah. in biohacking. And then obviously biohacking your body, biohacking right. your sleep. In meditation, people are using these devices now that can actually um, show you when your nervous system is the calmest. And then that way, you are in sort of like a um theta space. So that you could um, have a deeper meditation.
0: Yeah, and I know we're going to be talking to people in the active athletic space. I've been in gyms and I've seen people sniff something right before they, uh, oh, wow. you know, lift a piece of weight. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> is that some kind of like chemical what, accelerant or something like that?
1: Like, what is it? If I saw somebody with a bunch of weight in front of them and they had to put something up their nose in order to lift it up, I would be, I, I would assume, you know, this isn't something you need to do. <laughs> This isn't something that you need to do, right? <laughs> yeah, because if if you have to if you have to sniff something up your nose, like a, carry a bunch of weight around, just go do something that your body wants to do instead, right? That's my opinion. Try the it.
0: treadmill, maybe.
1: Yeah, elliptical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rower.
0: We've got a great lineup for today's episode, so let's kick off things with our first guest. Our first guest is Scott Shunk. Scott Shunk is a physique athlete and model. Scott has perfected his own body down to a science and helps others do the same as a fitness and nutrition guru and creator of Body Coat Fitness. Before committing himself to his body full-time, Scott worked as a consultant and was director of the Visualizing Cultures Project at MIT. Hi, Scott. Can you introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I'm Scott Shunk. I'm sort of a fitness and wellness guy. A bit of an Instagram and social media presence, and uh, what I do is help people stay youthful and invigorated in their lives.
1: So, we want to ask you about your bodybuilding journey. If you just want to give us like a synopsis of your story,
2: I'd always been sort of fascinated by fitness and and physique training, aesthetics in terms of um, bodybuilding and modeling and these types of things, and. And um, I saw this, this series of photos called Fred with Tires that Herb Ritz had done simultaneously. That was when the Calvin Klein first underwear ad came out, uh, the classic 80s underwear ad. What really was interesting in the 80s was gay men really sort of embraced the body and the physique that I found to be most fascinating. Um, so growing up and, and seeing all this, these, these, these sort of these incredibly fit young men in, in Greenwich Village, along with these, you know, the, the photographic and artistic representations that Herb Ritz had done and then the modeling, um, what was working in advertising. It really led me at age sort of 13, 14 to know what I wanted to do. And then I began my actual fitness journey um, at about 20, and I was let me see, I would have been 20 in 1988, and from there it's it's been you know 34, 35 years of uh, of fitness, um, trying to understand supplementation, different workout regimens and routines, really being open and teachable to a lot of different things, doing a lot of research myself, and just enmeshing myself in the culture and um, and embracing it fully, sort of what fitness is, and for me as a model and and an older an old dude model. Um, um, you know <laughs> I love not, that term all <laughs> do model. About, put it on LinkedIn really really youthful uh, looking keeping yeah. my skin really really well put together. My skin is kind of one of my brands out in the in the modeling world because I have just a very youthful, looking appearance and skin for for a guy my age other yeah than for guy.
1: sure it's cool to hear so essentially like when you were a young kid you had this artistic vision and like even I looked up the Fred with tires it's a beautiful series and the photography is incredible so it's like an artistic standpoint that you're coming from
2: absolutely and that's why I'm when people say bodybuilder like i I embrace that term because I'm a bodybuilder but that also is really more associated with these Big, giant guys that are running a lot of performance-enhancing drugs. Um, it's it's a different aesthetic. Um, I've always stayed completely natural, i.e. I've never used performance-enhancing drugs, hormones, what have you. I call what I do, and I think it's, it's, it's you know, I'm a physique athlete or an aesthetic athlete.
0: Right. And, Scott, you used to be a research director at MIT, but now you're a physique athlete, as you said, fitness and nutrition coach and a model. These seem like two different worlds. What prompted you to make this change? And do you find any connections between your previous career and what you do now?
2: Well, certainly the research uh, component at MIT. I was running. I, I always worked in media growing up, and, and what I did at MIT was to, to direct a very large-scale media project um, at the institute. Again, aesthetics, physical aesthetics, physique has always been something I've done since my 20s. When I, through a series of life changes, ended up in Houston. The joke that I always tell people is, you know, I met a guy at a gala, you know, in an oil billionaire, and he was like, "What do you bringing?" And you know, he said, "Well, son, you can you can either be smart or pretty." here but you can't be both and uh, so, <laughs> so i guess i chose pretty uh, for the second half of my life
0: <laughs> oh my god thank you for that and the accent Appreciate that.
2: (laughs) Doing the best I can.
1: What kind of research did you do to start exploring this? And how did you find the practices that work for you? What advice would you give someone who's starting to train and has a vision for themselves, sort of like what you do?
2: Like anything in life, there's sort of a core series of tenets that will work for everyone in terms of embracing a fitness journey. And there are really three tenets to to what we do in, in the sport. It's training, nutrition, and recovery. So what I did initially was like most kids, you know, I'm 18, 20 years old when I started. And um, that was, you know, in the 80s and early 90s. And, there, you know, we had supplements like brewer's yeast and, and, and amino kind of hinky, hinky, meaning, you know, nonsense kind of supplements, gainers fuel, you know, just tons of like basically coffee creamer and rice. Uh, carbohydrates in a powder form, <laughs> Sounds <some> protein. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I, again, it was the beginning of understanding how do I enhance what I'm doing in the gym with my nutrition, and then the supplementation components, and and reading a ton of stuff, getting all the bodybuilding magazines that were available then, and just trying to understand as much as I could about what what do I what was I to do? How do I train? And it just takes a long time to do that. And everyone, when they begin their journey, no matter what age, and when I'm taking someone in, you know, I, I'm showing a lot of shortcuts and a lot of shorthand to get to uh, results a lot more, more quickly and rapidly. But a lot of it is just really doing the work, getting in the gym, um, doing basic, straightforward, simple, but effective exercises. You are eating a lot of lean protein. Um, And that's chicken, that's egg whites, that's uh, some protein powders, lean cuts of red meat. If that's something you do, I don't eat a lot of red meat. Um, You eat a lot of vegetables clean vegetables, like sort of just raw. I eat a lot of raw broccoli, Brussels sprouts, beans, these green beans, these kinds of things. And I don't eat many carbohydrates at all. That's kind of where guys like me live. That's clean eating. Okay. That means you're not eating processed foods. You're not having a cheat meal once a week. There's no alcohol. There's, you know, there's a lot of restriction. It's wow. a lot of misery.
1: And so can the human body be hacked? Are there concrete methods to gain concrete results? In what you're doing
2: absolutely there there are a myriad of shortcuts um and and sort of keys to the I, I call it the keys to the kingdom um and 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 it really has a lot to do with food timing this game is all about hormones and how to, you know, for a guy like me who's completely natural in my 50s, you know, still not using any even hormone replacement therapy because that's what guys, guys around 35, 37 start going to the testosterone clinics, you know, and, and, and start just getting you know, getting injectable testosterone. Um, but I just game my hormones to keep my testosterone levels as high as possible, my cortisol levels as low as possible, my insulin, is, my insulin which is kind of the biggest hormone in the game, um, the most sensitive that I can all the time. Um, and I do that by sleeping um, eight to nine hours every day, by not having an incredibly stressed out life, um, which drives my ex-wife to madness, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I do, and the way I eat. And I also use intermittent fasting, and I have almost for 35 years. Almost so, every day I do intermittent fasting.
1: It's interesting what you're saying because you're so aware of everything going on with your mind and body. And, and it is it is a science and a, uh, a lifestyle. And earlier I said like a work of art. It seems like your life is your work of art that you're curating. I'm very curious about endorphins, working out your mood. And are you happy?
2: There are days it's absolute misery to get through it. If I'm doing a 72 hour fast um, and I will do a 72 hour fast almost um, monthly. Um, and there's a lot of reasons I do that. Um, autophagy is a term we, we throw around. Immunological resets, um, also really just kind of cleaning my body up. But on those 72 hours, I can get pretty miserable. On days that I'm cutting in for a shoot, I just got back from Mexico on on Tuesday, and I had to cut in for a shoot. My Thanksgiving was chicken and broccoli, where you know everyone else is sitting there hammering, you know, pie. And I love, <laughs> pie. I love sugar. so there are days when, um, you're hormonally gamed, you're, you know, like you're just, you're beat up. Um, and what you have to work through or what I tell my, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with someone, I'm like, you, you just, you need to kind of muscle through that. There's, there's, you, you need to move through that stuff. You accept it. You sort of put it where it needs to be, but you know that you are going for a longer result. I sit around 185 pounds. I'm six foot one. That's kind of my happy weight. I can go down to 181 when I want to be ridiculously 2% body fat lean, and I can go up to 190 and fluff up and, and, and be really buff and still have pretty abs. But one, for about three months a year, I like to go up to about um, 200 to 210 pounds. That really gives my body and my mind the break. And it allows me to restart the process of chipping away at the, at the david. You know, chipping the David out. I love
0: that. The artist is present.
2: As you say, as you say, it is exactly that. It's, it is a science and it is an art. There is no one way that anyone gets to the place they need to get to. And that's why the journey takes. It should be enjoyed and should be looked at as a lifetime, uh, a lifelong process. I learn things every year that I didn't know the year previously. I'm in better shape today than I was at 50, than I absolutely was at 35. I've always been lean. I've always been pretty ripped other than the year my first child was born. Um, but, you know, there was there. there I've always kind of kept it together. so I learned something every year. And now as I age, it's really it's a it's a it's a game of hormones. You know,
0: I'm, I love but, that you mentioned that it looks different for everybody and everybody yeah. are on their dif- their own uh, journey individually. How do you use biohacking for your training? And in your opinion, what works And what doesn't work?
2: The best piece of advice I can offer most people is intermittent fasting is the real deal. You know, what we biohacking is a new term. When I was at MIT, we called it life extension, but none of this stuff is new. So the biggest thing I can recommend in terms of a biohack for anyone is to really experiment with intermittent fasting. Start fasting at least 12 hours every day. Have your last meal at seven or whatever, and then don't eat again until, you know, seven or eight the next day. That's an easy thing to do for most people. The most important hormone you're going to play with in your body is your insulin. So, what I always preach to people is insulin sensitivity. We want our insulin sensitivity as high as possible. Why is so insulin
0: I- the most important hormone mm. in the body? Why is insulin the most
2: important? Now, that's an opinion. There, of course, everything oh, is important. okay. Okay, systemically. Okay. But my my and your opinion, thing- yeah. My opinion is it's the most important hormone um, because it kind of governs a lot of the things that are most important to what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you keep your insulin sensitivity high, as soon as you're putting foods into your body, carbohydrates, um, everything in your body runs on glycogen or glucose, carbohydrates, sugar. Everything your body is fueled by sugar, blood sugar. So if you have tons of food in your system all the time, your body's like, oh, I don't need to use this because I've already got a high blood sugar level. So I'm going to put this into storage. Here comes more calories. They're going to go into storage. Storage is adipose tissue. Adipose tissue is a pretty name for fat. So by <laughs> by keeping your insulin sensitivity high... As soon as you put foods in your body, it's converting that to blood sugar, to energy right away. It's being used. It's not in danger of being stored. The other big biohack is to take the majority of your calories from protein sources. The primary thing I do is make sure that I'm getting 200 grams of protein a day. If That's going to take 1,200 to 1,500 of my calories away. Again, I don't count my calories anymore, but when you start in this game, you should just to begin to understand because eventually you'll just get to where you know what you're doing. Once I get the protein in my body, then I can decide whether I want fats or carbohydrates to, to you know, encompass the residual calories that I need to get through my day, but make protein the primary source of your calories on any given day, the primary source of your of your meals, getting your carbs and your and your healthy fats in there as well as needed, and you're going to really, really keep your insulin sensitivity extraordinarily high. In addition to doing that um, intermittent fast for minimally 12 hours.
1: Wow. Well, we, I mean, we learned so much.
0: Yeah, I'm taking it all <laughs> in in my mind. I'm like, I got to do a push-up. It- <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I'm I'm really I, I love this art form that you've taken on. And I think that you're yeah, your body is your work of art. And, you know, we really see and respect that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I thank that. you
2: so much for sharing. Absolutely. It's <laughs> been my pleasure.
1: Reflection time.
2: Reflection time.
1: Bodybuilder, huh?
0: Yeah. You know, I am somebody who has been in the weight room recently. So hearing all of that was interesting and a little bit intimidating. Yeah. i was like i don't want to do that
1: i thought it was cool the way that he was an artist and his body was his work of art and that was really his vision yeah. and then also how deeply he clearly understood science hormones um metabolic rate right diet down to every last calorie right you know? he,
0: i think he probably it was prioritizing hormones i was like wow that one's more important than the other one and he talked about the diet and a broccoli and chicken and you know so biohacking is serious, real, and intense. And he's someone who's on top of it. I loved how, uh, well, you know, I'm not sure if I love the social side of it. Mm. You know, he was like, this is like pretty miserable. Yeah. But um, it was insightful, at least. I I, I still want to go out and have a beer.
1: Yeah, I really, <laughs> I digged his honesty there. That was like, he was straight up like, you know, what? it's really miserable sometimes, but uh, it's what he's clearly passionate about. First of all, he looked 30, maybe. His the skin,
0: guys- <laughs> he had a little glow to him, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he looked young. Yeah, yeah. I think he hacked the aging process. And I love how he just
0: put a system around it. A lot of these things we already know: sleep, work mm-hmm. out, drink water. But he put a system and a regiment that was pretty strict around that. And so it's interesting how the body responds to systems. I guess. Yeah. You know,
1: si- yeah, and science. <laughs> Straight up <laughs> science. <laughs> this is Angelica Pasquini from So Curious. Sign up for our newsletter to find out when the latest episodes are available, get access to bonus content, and be the first to know when we host live events. Visit beyond.fi.edu to sign up. Now, no, literally, go do it right now. Our last guest is Ricky Solorzano. He is the CEO of Biorealize, a company that creates, researches, and manufactures tools and technology that make it easier to design with biology. They offer bio-design tools in brewing, food and beverage, fashion, and design. Their primary product, called the B Reactor, is the only portable smart incubation system that can culture organisms in liquid and solid media. He has played an incredible role in the biofabrication industry over the past 10 years and has been involved in the creation and commercialization of several life science tools.
0: Okay, let's get into the biodesign
3: side of biohacking. Hi, Ricky.
0: Can you introduce yourself?
3: I'm currently the CEO and co-founder of Biorealize, and we are on a mission to make it easier to design with biology. Part of that entails being able to empower designers really industrial designers, product designers, architectural designers, uh, to understand how to integrate biodesign into their workflows. The world of biology is growing every day, and there's so much to learn, so much to understand, and standards to create. And so all of this really stems from consumers are starting to realize that we want to think more consciously about sustainability and the products that we buy. Right. So we think about like, how can we buy things, not just for their usage, but for their entire life cycle. Yeah. So from start to finish, like, okay, we buy something and then where does it go <laughs> and yeah. how is yeah. it gonna lead? Yeah.
1: So it sounds like sustainability is obviously very important to you. Um, we're curious about your desire to bring biology and design closer together, obviously through the lens of sustainability. Uh, could you expand on what inspired you to found BioRealize and trace your journey for us
3: um, to where you are today? The founding really happened some years ago by the co-founders, Karen and Orkin, who were really professors of biodesign at the University of Pennsylvania. And they saw, and it was really difficult for him to teach his design students just about anything about biology. Right. And this was about seven, 10 years ago. And so they set out to start thinking about how to make it easier In part of that, they realized that the tools and the platforms needed standards. It needed to like become a lot easier to digest.
0: Yeah, that's been the running theme in a lot of (laughs) these conversations we've been having. And just to take a step back, bio design, designing through biology, what exactly does that
3: mean? The way we feel about it is they're designers and designers when they're thinking about it and when we think about it is like people using stuff. So like designers make things that people use. And anything that they make, when it integrates biology, that's what we say is (laughs) biodesign. Okay. A large part of biodesign today is about using organisms, and more specifically, probably like bacteria, using them as a useful tool to be of value to humans. Previously, for example, cotton was grown in the fields. Right. Now, they are making bacteria that produces cotton in tanks. And that is- in a more sustainable fashion, in a lower cost, in better performance.
0: That's more sustainable. That, g- growing the cotton in a tank as opposed to... In
3: a field. A field. Correct.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because the through line through all of learning this week has been that with innovation now, everyone's hacking. Everyone's biohacking, saving time and energy. A lot like what you're talking about. Is bio design a hack to what is currently and properly available for production?
3: It's interesting. I think that the big... Pull is from the sustainability aspect. It always starts as a hack, yeah, because you're just prototyping. You're trying to figure stuff out. Everyone sees that this biodesign design can have an impact in terms of having us live a more sustainable life. Yeah, but then we have to think about well, how about performance, and how about cost? Because then we won't have adoption.
0: Your primary product is the bee reactor which is the only portable networked smart incubator system on the market. Can you explain how it works and all that scientific jargon that I just said?
3: You know, I think the B Reactor at its core is, is just really about helping people who don't have access to biology infrastructure grow bacteria at the desktop. And that's all goes back to like, how do we make it easier, faster, more simple to get into the field? A lot of the people that we're trying to serve are in a room just like this one. (laughs) Yeah. And so we want to put an easy device on their table that they can grow bacteria, start doing biology in an easier way Mm -hmm. and innovate. Yeah. It's
1: like makes it more accessible. And so you guys offer tools in... Brewing, food and beverage, fashion and design. So this is a pretty wide range. I'm curious, uh, what type of goods are you biodesigning that you're really into right now?
3: We actually have three categories, biodegradation, biomineralization, and biosynthesis. Mm -hmm. So so biodegradation- Explain. (laughs) (laughs) That's about all the stuff that that can be decomposed. Biomineralization is about their bacteria that can create minerals. So instead of using like glue, You can use minerals to adhere two things together. Biosynthesis is basically like creating dyes. It's a bacteria. It creates something that's useful, like a dye, a pigment, and you can use that for some application of interest.
0: Could you reflect on the idea of biodesign as an interdisciplinary project and how it changes your understanding of both biology and
3: the arts? We love having artists within our community trying to use bacteria or other organisms to make art and, and as a form of self-expression. It's all about like the human taking control over something to make something. It's funny
1: because you're featured on the same episode as a bodybuilder. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> <laughs> because we it's a biohacking uh, episode. And we're curious about this large spectrum of hacking and biohacking. And we were just curious if you can speak to the spectrum of biohacking.
3: When I think of hacking, I think of it as like, They're the rebels. They want to make stuff just because they can. I dig
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. And and on that note, you know, you want to expand the accessibility of biofabrication to everyone,
3: right? You want to be able to get to more of the good stuff, expanding people to be able to be creative and apply that creativity in useful ways to value humans. Yeah. And do so within a way of understanding, well, what some of the restrictions are. And a lot of that comes into not so much the tools, but the bacteria. And that actually is really restricted by the companies that sell or produce those bacteria.
0: So can you talk about some dream products that you or you would love to see someone else design or create? Like, what do you see in the future?
3: Yeah, in terms of some of the things that we we dream about within the company are consumer based apparel that could have integrations of biology. So imagine your sneakers have bacteria that are either cooling you as you walk, or being able to have sneakers that kind of biodegrade over time. Some of the other things we dream about are having like electronics based products that we could throw in our backyard,
0: like a cell phone, just yeah, like,
3: yeah, like, it's a, a cell cell- guy. Guy. yeah, exactly. So like, I'm kind of done with the life cycle of this thing. And you know, I wanted to like just throw it away. Instead of throwing it in the garbage, you throw it in your backyard. I that's want to throw a phone in my backyard. <laughs> I know, like just
1: biodegrade know. it all, you know, <laughs> like, and <you laughs> know, it's so gorgeous as an idea.
3: Part of that is because there's a lot of people today that do throw away their phones in the garbage. And it's actually not good. If we could get to a place where people could just throw it away, even if it's in the garbage, then that's going to be healthier, for
1: us. Yeah, I feel like it's like eliminating people having to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, we'll just uh, make it easier to let you throw it out. So on your
0: website, Ricky, you describe the urgent need to redesign and scale everyday products with biology that are more sustainable and healthier for us and our environment. Can you explain a little bit further the urgency of biodesign and sustainability? Like, does this need to happen yesterday? Right. You know, so, some of the ways we're interacting with our, our world and our environment.
3: I think we're more on like a 10, 20 year urgency that we really need to think about in terms of the amount of plastic in the world, the greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. So all those things in terms of it really about petrochemicals, (laughs) like the way that we're including petrochemicals into products. And it's not so much that we use plastic. It's the fact that we continue to produce new plastic. Yeah. So it's kind of like One is about being able to access the plastic that's already in the ground that we've thrown away. Or two, it's about creating products that we could just throw away that don't have any plastic or don't have any petrochemicals more than anything.
1: Do you notice a shift in quality when you use these materials?
3: A lot of people have been able to innovate materials that seem very promising. So they have the same properties to be able to maintain the packaged items or the packaged goods. There's some companies that already have been making leaps and bounds in terms of packaging. There's a company called Ecovative Design that does mushroom-based packaging. It's really cool instead of plastics for packaging things like Dell computers and things like that. Yeah.
0: Where do you see room for quicker improvements from the everyday person side of their life you know biohacking their habits or from the big businesses or corporations that are packaging all these things and shipping it daily and across the planet and things like that like where where is the improvement to be made and where could it be done faster
3: on the consumer side it's about the mental awareness like being selective about the sustainability knowing and thinking conscientiously to look, to double check, what is the life cycle of this product gonna be? Yeah, I certainly don't ask that. Sometimes I do, and if I get a cell phone,
0: how long will I have this cell phone? It's something yeah. like
3: that, you know, like, and maybe it's not obvious today, but maybe it'll be obvious in a year from now. And just yeah. noticing, like, I wonder where, this is actually going or like how is this being removed back into the world kind of thing so i think from the consumer side it's more about just mental awareness but on the corporation that they could be making bigger investments in terms of integrating new technologies new packaging materials new materials in general or new processes that are all about thinking about their carbon footprint
1: yeah for real
3: you know so it's it's kind of both of those coming together in the center the consumer mental shift and the investments from the corporations on carbon footprint And then the third piece is the government's making that slight push. And we're going to find ourselves going in a better direction, I think.
1: I love that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. We learned a lot. (laughs)
3: Yeah. (laughs) Thank thank
1: you. you
0: so much. It is about that time and reflection time. Man, that was fun. And I really love the idea of just throwing things into my
1: backyard. Me too. I can't wait. I'm going to throw it all. I'm (laughs) going to throw my bed. I'm going (laughs) to throw my shoes.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the work that he's doing is really interesting too, and trying to alleviate pressure on consumers. So we can just like, you know, make decisions more, more streamlined, more clearly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a cool way to uh, innovate, you know, with technology that is using our earth to then, become later part of our earth without the human being needing to like honestly do all of this um life admin around every time you buy something. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. A lot of, I mean, people aren't doing it. There's a lot so, of work. Yeah, you might and as well like like cut people, that out.
0: Absolutely. You know, we talked about uh recycling, right? Yeah. And there's a number numerical system 1 through 6 and I don't even know if the city here or in New York or in other cities handles all those numbers. No, it doesn't. And you really have to know it. And so I I appreciate the idea of having less pressure on us. Okay, let's finish strong on this episode. We are bringing back our recurring segment today, Body of Knowledge with Chief Bioscientist at the Franklin Institute, Dr. Jayatri Das. In this segment, we are going to ask some questions and talk about the ideas about biohacking and kind of an open forum style. Then we're gonna to take to the internet and see what people on Google are searching for. Welcome Jayatri On this episode, we're gonna be talking about biohacking. And I would love to just get some some brief reflections from you.
4: So I think what's really interesting about biohacking is that there are different ways that we think about what that word means. And we've heard some two very different examples of how people think about biohacking. So, if I were to try and find like what is that common theme, it's this idea that we can look at the tools that nature has made for you know for ourselves, for the way that our bodies work, for the way that um, that living things in nature work, and think about how we use those tools for different purposes, right so we think about you know manufacturing other things like fabric or art and things like that using biological tools. But we can also think about, okay, how can we optimize these biological tools to make ourselves better?
0: Right, right. When I hear biohacking, the word hacking jumps off to me. And I guess that suggests that something's not going the way you want it to go or something's going awry and you're trying to fix it. But, you know, I never think about my body in any way where it's like, oh, this isn't going right. Unless I get out of bed and like my shoulders cracking or something like that. I'm like, what's going on with that? Yeah. I don't know. I generally like the way I'm functioning. (laughs)
1: Yeah, That's that's good. That's a blessing. I think the hacking, too, is very much like, how do I make a shortcut? You know, how do I get an advancement? How do I, you know, like life hacks are often just things that are a very simple idea, you know, like a shortcut, a, a way to skip over something that might be taking too much time or effort?
4: Yeah, no, I think I think both of those are really good perceptions of, you know, how we think about this idea of hacking. And when we apply it to biology, it's this idea that we don't have to just sit back and watch anymore, right? We can, we now understand how biology works in such a way that we can use it for shortcuts, or we can use it to think about, you know, how do we not just, you know, stay comfortable with who we are and have to accept that, but actually be proactive about building yourself into something else that you might want to be.
0: Right. I love the uh, idea of bodybuilding because I've always been a little skinny kid, especially like growing up. And so the idea of like, you know, taking supplements and meal prepping and having a bunch of chicken and protein and and these things kind of, uh, I guess, concentrating your effort to build a bigger shoulder a bigger calf muscle or something like that. Like, you know, I haven't been able to master that too well, but I like the idea of it. Um, But I don't know, that doesn't like strike me as biohacking. It's just like, well, you're just dieting and eating right. But am I wrong in assuming that?
4: No, I mean, you can think of biohacking as kind of on the spectrum, right? Like if you're looking at meditation, uh, I know that, Angelica, you're into meditation. Like that, that can be sort of a very low level type of biohacking, right? Of like, I know that this is how my brain works. And I'm going to repurpose that to accomplish a certain goal. Yes. Right. So that's at a very simple level. You could be a biohacker, right? (laughs) Yeah. In a way, it does
1: feel that way. It's like a magic trick sometimes because you can catch the loop. As long as you can find that space in between the two thoughts, you kind of take your power back. You know what I'm saying? Right. In that very cyclical moment. So it is like a hack.
0: I was going to say, have you found that like studying or when you're meditating, you know, people say when you're physically writing something or physically touching a book, it, it kind of sits in your brain a little longer. Is that biohacking? Is studying for a final, a biohack that students are doing across the country?
4: You know, I think where my mind goes is that biohacking is kind of working outside the system a little bit. Yeah, right
1: all hacking has that <laughs> yes snowden edward snowden like they're they're the they're the anarchists of the science world these hackers they're very i love that i'm always attracted to the hacker hackers because yeah. i'm like what's really going on around here
4: <laughs>
0: love it love it
4: right so you know i'm not necessarily advocating that like you know what are the you know and you know breaking laws or anything in because in some <laughs> cases like the laws haven't even caught up to mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of what's possible that's a whole different conversation. But there's a little bit of, you know, trying to break the rules, right? Whether it's because, you know, you want to improve your health, whether you want to control your body, whether you want to sort of fend off aging, like, these are different reasons, you know, if you're thinking about body hacking in particular, that these, these are all different reasons why people think about doing that. So it's a little bit of just like, you know, like, trying to think outside of the box. Totally. Yeah.
0: Is uh, is cancer research somewhere in that spectrum of uh, biohacking, you know, trying to get around these cells that, you know, multiply and ultimately, you know, unfortunately, you know, kill a lot of people?
4: You know, that's a question that I think starts to get at the nuance here, because the way that most cancer research is done is kind of within the confines of an established system of research, right? Um, Because, you know, there are so many safeguards to protect people's health and things like that. But I think the mindset (laughs) of a scientist is a little bit of a hacker um, mindset, right? Because one of the biggest breakthroughs in cancer research that has you know, come about in the last decade or so is this idea of, like, hacking your body's own immune system to fight cancer cells, Yeah. right? So I think, you know, that's kind of like a hacker mindset within, a, you know, sort of like the established structure of, of medical research.
0: Okay, so we, of course, hit up the internet and we axed the Googles.
4: Amazing.
1: Let's move into the second half of the segment, Body of Knowledge Autofilm. We typed in our keyword biohacking, and Google gave us the most searched questions that people have been asking in the privacy of their own homes online when they think no one can read it. So let's read off some of the most popular questions people are asking Google about biohacking.
0: The first one is, is biohacking ethical?
4: Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) That's
4: such a fuzzy line to draw, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a little nail on the head, okay? It's not a very nuanced question. It's very like, so is it ethical or what? Like people want to know that's <laughs> going to be the first one because people are like, all right, is this right or wrong? You know, right. I think that's kind of like the gut instinct people get when they hear about it. They want to make it a human sort of. I think some people right. kind of make that decision
0: themselves too when they first hear it. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, we can make you smarter tomorrow if you inject yourself and like, whoa, I don't know if I want to do that.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, right. I- but if somebody makes their own decision to like, Put a computer chip in their finger or something, right. right? Like, sure, whatever. It's your own body, right? I think where the ethical questions around biohacking start to get, uh, you know, more nebulous is now that we can actually change genes. That okay, what does that mean about you know making your own decisions? Like, right. who makes those decisions for you? What if you change the genes that aren't just in your own body, but are the genes that you pass along to your children?
1: Oh, right? Wow. Do yeah. they
4: have a choice? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it's so it, true.
4: I think like if you stay kind of at the shallow level, that you know life hacks kind of thing, that it's like okay, well, we're we're okay with this, but you but with new technology that is changing what it means about what's possible, the ethical questions get a lot thornier.
0: Right. Yeah. This next one uh, sounds so funny to me, and I just want to see you see your reactions to this. Uh, biohacking is not a crime. <laughs>
1: I feel like this was someone being like, biohacking is yeah. not a crime, right? <laughs> I'm not wrong, right? Am I guilty? Am I going to go to jail? Yeah. I just
4: biohacked.
0: They typed it out slowly. <laughs> it's not a crime, <laughs> <Totally>. right?
4: <laughs> it's a guilty question. This is really kind of fascinating, the experiments that people do on themselves
1: oh, go on. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right. So, I mean, there, there's like the people who literally think that, oh, I want to be able to open a, you know, a card swipe door with my hand. And so I'm just going to put that RFID chip, you know, under my skin. Um, and then there's the bodybuilders who learn about gene editing and think that, well, you know, everybody does the, you know, just like the vitamin supplements. What I'm going to do is actually try and change my own genes to build my own muscle. And maybe that's not such a great idea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what else? It makes me think of um, like designer dogs, you know, when people curate a dog that they want. Yeah. I mean, I know we're talking about humans, but also even just in pets, it happens like like creating. Absolutely hypoallergenic, certain kind of face, certain kind of color, certain everything. I don't
0: want to trail off too much, but I thought I saw a headline maybe a couple of months ago about like trying to bring back the woolly mammoth. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I'm I'm like, is this an onion article or is this real? And I think that is absolutely 100 percent real. Like people are interested in doing that and and taking steps towards that.
4: It is. And that's where like, you know, these are questions that of like, wait, 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 what should science be doing, right? Because the people who want to bring back the woolly mammoth you know suggests that by bringing back the woolly mammoth we can like tackle environmental degradation and things yeah. like that like but like, aren't there 50 other things that we should be doing yes. first right, right. before we yes. go to biohacking as a way to do this?
1: That's exactly what Correct. my gut went to. I was like, we still have hungry kids in the US. <laughs> so wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before we bring back the Wooly Mammoth. <laughs> very
0: Can you make a comedy sketch out of that before you bring back the Willy Mammoth? I love that.
1: Things to do before <laughs> bringing back the Wooly Mammoth. Like we've got things on the agenda.
0: I love that. The next um, one here is uh, biohacking is amazing. <laughs>
4: That's such a subjective thing because I think biohacking absolutely can be amazing. Yeah, but then there are some that's like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it
1: is is cause for amazement,
4: but right, yeah,
0: right. I think amazing denotes a uh, positive feelings in in all of us, uh, g- generally speaking. But
4: so I think one of the my favorite examples of like biohacking, like, huh. <laughs> was an artist who used under the principle of biohacking made cheese from celebrities
1: (laughs) wait what does that mean oh my god by
4: collecting bacteria from famous people (laughs) from their armpits and toes and belly buttons (laughs) and using that to make cheese (laughs)
1: wow
4: so that's a different way to think about wow (laughs) wow
1: i'm wrapping my mind around that and did people buy it
4: it was it was art. Oh, it was. So it was just. Well, that's kind another. Of, you know. That's another
1: hilarious okay. term, art. <laughs> but <laughs> We won't go there.
4: Sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to, to, to come across as being judgmental of art as a scientist. No, it's I, hilarious
1: to call it art. I'm saying the bacteria cheese wow. from a celebrity.
4: Wow.
0: Yeah. That. that that's still washing over me. Me too. I can't even have a response to that right now. I'm like, that's just.
1: I'm sure it was a commentary of sorts. And oh I'd love God. to read the artist's statement, which is always uh, a little more intense than. It can be more interesting than the work itself.
4: But, you know, if you think about biohacking as a way to use biology outside the confines of the system, like, mm. there you go. You know, within that there context,
0: within that context, I am amazed. <laughs> that's absolutely am amazed. amazing. So uh, biohacking for weight loss.
4: Interesting. I mean, intermittent fasting, right? Like that, I see that often as like one of the classic hacks. Yes. Um, Yeah. I don't, I'm actually not up to speed on like what the evidence for that is, but I know a lot of people do it.
1: And the last one, you want to go for it? Uh, Sure. Uh, Biohacking for longevity.
4: Oh, this is an interesting one. Okay. Right. Because one kind of mindset that is common among many biohackers is this idea that why be constrained by the human body right like what is death (laughs) right right let's just get rid of it like why do we need to die let's just change our bodies so we keep living so you see things like people injecting like doing like blood transfusions from young people as a way to you know try and fend off aging
1: wow wow i did not know that is that some like upper echelon you have a lot of but it sounds expensive probably like getting a blood trans getting a blood transfusion for cosmetic reasons right okay like that sounds very bougie to me yeah
0: you probably can't go to cbs for that (laughs) that's probably
1: i mean people are waiting for those for really intense reasons and then i guess there's people that are like you know i'd love to look a little younger let's give it a go yeah
0: Yeah. i I mean all these questions are so interesting because it denotes some kind of concern or worry about life as we understand it like i don't like that part of life and Mm. i don't want this function of it and i'm Hearing some of these examples is just blowing my mind. I'm just mind blowing.
1: Thanks so much, Shayatri. And thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of So Curious. This podcast is part of the Franklin Institute. The Franklin Institute is a science museum located in Philadelphia. The Franklin Institute's mission is to inspire a passion for learning about science and technology. For more information on everything about the Franklin Institute, visit fi.edu. This podcast is produced by Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast network for businesses looking to develop their own branded podcast content. Check them out at radiokismet.com. There's a lot of people who make this podcast happen. Thanks to the producers, Joy Montefusco and Jayatri Das. Our managing producer, Emily Cherish. Our operations head, Christopher Plant. Our associate producer, Liliana Green. Our audio team, Christian Sederlund, Goldie Bangley, Lauren DeLuca, and Brad Florent. Our development producer, Opeola Bukola, our science writer Kira Veyet, and our graphic designer Emma Sager. See you next week.